Greetings, everybody. This is Christopher coming at you from the Messy Time Studios here in the last free state in America, Florida. It's the 9th of May, 2023, and I am joined after a month-long hiatus by Mark Wheatley, who's coming to us from London, where he is a politician in the city of London and an active and vibrant consultant. Mark, welcome. Hi, Christopher. How's it going? Fantastic. It's so good to see you again. I think we last recorded 18 months ago, and many things have gone on since there, including, I believe, uh, a new king who Absolutely. we can explain to those of us who, who sloughed off the shackles of royalty some time ago what precisely, given the fact that King Charles III became the king upon the death, sadly, of his wonderful mother, uh, what the whole coronation was about last weekend. Yeah, I mean, of course, it does look from afar a bit like a kind of a piece of theatre, a, a pantomime even. Um, and, and yet it does have some really deep significance. Um, and as you suggested earlier, uh, we don't have a break between monarchs, and, and that's really important. Of course, you need a head of state. So on the death of a monarch, their successor is pro proclaimed. You know that, that phrase, yeah. you know, the, the, the king is dead, long live the king. Um, but, uh, and this is an important caveat, it's vital for the religious aspect of monarchy to be affirmed. It's also vital for the monarch to be presented to the kingdoms of, mm. of, of the United Kingdom. Um, so what it really serves is, you know, it's an element of theater. Uh, it's an element of declaration of loyalty. It's an element of, for the monarch to declare service to the kingdoms. Um, and it does have that significant religious aspect, you know, the anointing of the oil um, on the monarch's forehead. It has symbolism um, that really goes back a long way. Um, I mean, supposedly over a thousand years to the, uh, I think the crowning of King Edward the Confessor. I need to double check. I'm not a medievalist in any depth. Now, is um, that his but, wooden throne? Was that Edward's throne upon yeah, which yeah. Charles sat? I love that. I love the fact that there's a thousand year old throne that is important yeah. enough to the monarchy that it has been preserved all these years and is still the it, throne on which the, the new king or queen sits. That's phenomenal. Exactly. And some elements of it almost defy logic and almost, you know, maybe we live in a different age to the last coronation. That much, you know, that's almost a cliche. But back, you know, 70 odd years ago, um, a handful of Scottish students broke into Westminster Abbey to steal the stone that sits or, or used to sit underneath the throne. Um, it's the Scottish stone of destiny. And, and essentially that has significance for Scottish monarchy. Um, right. So they came down yeah, in the middle of winter, 70 odd years ago, uh, they drove down through snow, uh, stole the stone, and uh, sorry, uh, stole uh, the uh, stone, um, and then went on the run. And eventually, they deposited at I think Dunfermline Abbey in Scotland. Mm. And their point was essentially, you know, Scottish monarchy is coming back to Scottish roots. But you know, I just love that whole kind of theatre of it all, and it does have significance because I think you know we. We have a wonderfully unwritten constitution, um, as the cliche goes, but you know, we do have documents which frame our rights. We do have um, traditions. And in my mind, the monarchy is the institution that has endured. Um, you know, we had a debate in the Court of London and the Court of Common Council in the City of London a few years ago, where we were talking about kind of contention within our institutions, hmm. um, you know, the executive, parliament, um, 
the monarchy and, and essentially the Supreme Court. And I think in UK terms, it's important to note that the Supreme Court goes back about 15 years. I think it's a wee bit younger than my daughter, whereas the monarchy yeah. stood for centuries, parliament has stood for centuries. The, the executive has emerged from parliament, but has uh, uh, authorities derived from, from both parliament and from the presence of the monarchy. Um, and I think it's important to sort of really knit our society together to have a monarch who is kind of in the political conversations, but above party politics, as you know, ho hopefully the um, the monarch will always remain. And then, as you suggested earlier, you know, the late queen was exemplary. I mean, her life was one of service and dedication to the country. And she was wonderful, and just by pure chance, because of all the Wuhan hysteria. Now, I mean, I'm in the UK frequently, and I hadn't been since 2019. Mm. Um, and. Uh, by chance, I was in London for a bunch of meetings, and um, uh, the Queen died. And it was, it was a strange. So I was, I was, since I was in London, I, we were having dinner uh, uh, in a restaurant uh, near, near actually the palace. Um, and it was fascinating because the music stopped, the piano player stopped, and then he he kicked up "God Save the King," mm -hmm. and it was incredible, sort of especially to an American. Right, mm -hmm. I'm a big fan of tradition and, and and the rest of it, but to everyone else in the room, they clearly understood that that meant the queen had passed. I mean, that was and people just stood up as one, raised their glasses, and said, "The queen." It was it was kind of incredible. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, you know, you know, I mean, and, my grandfather was still in uniform when she became queen, and yeah. uh, he was serving at the tail end of the First World War. So she's part of that thread of history. And, and, yes. and, and yeah, I might get misty-eyed about these sort of things, but, but there is significance. I mean, even in some of the bizarre elements of the coronation, you know, the bracelets of sincerity and wisdom. I mean, yeah, if, if only every politician could wear something like that and be reminded of those qualities, it would be a far, far better world. I'd love to put the slap the bracelets of sincerity and wisdom on most politicians and watch them scream and writhe in agony as it burned their flesh. Um, that's that's pretty excellent. I did like um, he had a couple of scepters. He was he was waving around there a little bit. <laughs> he had that massively heavy coronation thro uh, uh, crown on, which apparently is like six pounds. It's horrifying, right? Um, and it was the it was the speaker of the house. Who was the woman standing there, really impressively with the with the the Roman laurels holding the sword? And that was a feat of considerable strength. And I'm kind of curious how long she practiced for that, because that's a heavy sword and she stood there a long time and it didn't move. That was really, kind of really impressive. Yeah, I, I think that's Penny Mordaunt, who is yes. Lord President. And she was one of the contenders for the Conservative leadership a wee while ago before the um, uh, the party or, or, or the leaders of the party decided to, to anoint indeed uh, Rishi Sunak rather than have a, an election that went to members. Um, she, yeah, she's a very capable politician. She's, you know, she's, you know, she's... Seeing how she was holding that sword, I propose the Conservative Party change how you pick a leader. I think it should be hand-in-hand -hand combat. I'd like to see her get in there and you know, swing that at Rishi and see what happens. <laughs> she's, she's, got, she's got shades of Athena, I think people were saying. Oh, yeah. yeah. She looks sprung from the brow, brow of Zeus, no doubt. She looked really... Spot on. I everyone else was watching different bits of the carnation, but I was staring at her, waiting for a bit of wobble in the blade. Nothing. She's ice. No. Really impressive. 
Yep. Yeah, well, she, she, she is a military reservist, or she was, I think, in the Royal Navy. There you um, go. But yeah, she really was an, a, a rock. And I, I hope I'm not straying into kind of some kind of petty treason now. But but the only <laughs> thing that kind of shocked me, and it, you know, maybe it's because it might have been like this when, when the Queen was um, going through the same ceremony. But I was a little, maybe I'm traditionalist, maybe I'm a phobia, I don't know, maybe I'm you know, both of those. But I was a little disconcerted by some of the cue cards. Um, and it just, yeah, for me, that's kind of dress rehearsal. Um, yeah, really, learn your way. lines. I'm with you. I can, I can sound like this because I'm a heretic, uh, anti-monarch, monarchist American. Yeah, I was watching the cue cards. I'm like, this is the big show. Learn your lines, people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, for, I, I mean, maybe this is my kind of view of monarchy, but to my mind, everybody in that room had that as their principle and, and indeed perhaps their, their only responsibility for a good period leading up to to, 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 yeah. to the day on Saturday. Really, and they William had four point. sentences, no offense, but <laughs> kneel down, swear fealty to dad. Like get it yeah. together, buddy. You don't need cue cards. Well, <laughs> no, no, exactly. And I like that again, that kind of sense of loyalty, you know, as you say, the monarch serving the country, the son. I'm I'm trying that with my little boy. I, I yes, really would like I had the exact same thing. idea. And I, I I got kind of brushed aside on that all kneeling and swilling, swearing fealty thing, but we're working on it. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the yeah, liege lord, it, it does appeal to me. And if I got him know, a big sword, maybe I get some fealty out of it. So that's a, you know, it's a consideration. Yeah. Granted, exactly. I mean, dad and, was handing off whales. And the Duchy of Cornwall. So, I mean, I guess you'd kneel for that. <laughs> well, I can only give my little boy this Pizza Express framing behind me. And, and exactly. So, I mean, yeah, you, you know, you, you kind of get the feel that you pay for. <laughs> but, but again, yeah, I mean, it is yeah, kind of very hokey on my part. But yeah. Oh, and by the way, while we're on William, you know, and he can memorize lines. And of course, you know, he was speaking from the heart, but at the concert, um, last night, I think it was, or you know, the night before, you know, he gave a speech to his father, and it was a really, really moving speech. It was, you know, in part about service, and it was in part about his father's legacy. Um, and gosh, I thought, you know, beautifully delivered pace. Well, again, sincerity, wisdom. You know, it was almost like he was wearing those bracelets that have got to be passed on, along to Biden and and, and Sunak. Um, <laughs> but you know, Disraeli, all those years ago, um, you know. In the UK, there's a strain of conservatives who are, are dubbed one nation conservatives. Mm. And they're good people to a man and a woman. They want to do good for society. They're progressive with a small p. But they, I believe, have assumed the mantle of Disraeli because you know he wrote about one nation conservatism. I think it was a bit more complex. I think the book was Sybil. Yeah, and the character who expressed the ideas is actually an unsympathetic character in, in the novel, but was observing that, you know, we had become a nation, well, we had become a country with two nations, the sort of the, the haves and the have-nots. Yeah. Um, I was talking about the kind of the way in which we could bind society together. And 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 frankly, to my mind, you know, when Disraeli said that the, the, the palace isn't comfortable unless the cottage is comfortable, you know, this is my cottage, this is you know, what my son will pledge his hands yeah, to get, or put his hands together for, to me. Um, it really does speak of that thread from the monarch serving the country, the son binding to his father. It's there's something important about these sen always these sacral moments. Um, and there, I mean, you've written and you've spoken really powerfully about rites of passage, and to some extent, it is a rite of passage. Yes, um, these are critical yeah. ceremonies that mark off delineations in society between mm. childhood and adulthood, and responsibility and lack of responsibility. Um, and it is critically important. And I think a lot of the 
the flaws at the heart of the American Republic is that people like a ruler, they like a king. Mm -hmm. And the the massive problem that's come in, you know, America was set up, the United States of America was set up as a corporation, right? The mm -hmm. president in a corporation is second to the chief executive officer. We don't have a CEO in America. We have a president, which is an administrative function, deliberately, right? It's not exciting. You're not supposed to be able to salute the president, except in his role as the commander in chief. Um, but because of that longing for, and Alexander Hamilton, who many people excoriated for this, he felt that, that the nation, if not a king, needed something like a king, needed a figurehead mm -hmm. that would be, a, to the extent possible, be above politics. Uh, and, you know, I think a lot of our headaches are because we try to force the mantle of kingship on a president. And that's that's just silly. It doesn't work and it doesn't fit. Um, and a lot of things that for an ardent, strict constructionist um, Republican with a small R, uh, Americans think about, you know, well, this is a exercise in self-governance. It's not supposed to be exciting. It's not supposed to be full of pageantry. You're not supposed to have horns blaring when the president and his wife walk out. That's not the point. Um, and those who, of course, don't, maybe are not framing it quite as coherently, but uh, it will bow down. And, and the, best, the best part of American life, uh, I'm convinced, is that we you know, gleefully and radically constantly make fun of our elected officials, especially the president. And this, you know, and, and people in power, and are they thin-skinned? They really are. Like the Alien and Sedition Acts back in the 18th century in America were designed to make it a crime to criticize elected officials. Well, I'm sorry. The entire American Declaration of Independence, in essence, if one had to sum it up, would read, bite me. <laughs> so the idea that you're going to make yeah. it illegal for people yeah, to exactly. criticize the government is insane. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, and that's, that's I don't know. I... So sorry, my point was just there's a, there's a there's, I've always noticed a very interesting difference between how um, the Britons I know will refer to the Queen or the King, even critically, but it's not quite as sharp and like detailed and petty as you would at a Prime Minister, right? Who has just made some incredibly mm -hmm. stupid decisions. That deserves ridicule and the ability to ridicule the prime minister is not transferred to ridiculing the king yeah exactly no this true. is a bit of kite flying because of course you know we, we had the 18th century cartoons the gilroys and all of them but but to some extent i i believe that the kind of an established institution that is weakened but nonetheless if this doesn't seem contradictory quite effective you know, if, the, if the purpose of the monarch is to be kind of a keystone in the arch um i think it does that well even if it is light and and reasonably lacking in authority but but possessing influence um so you know how, how where i'm going with that you know i think a traditional weakened but 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 kind of happy um part of the constitution the institution there works much better than something that's innovative that the holders of are kind of trying to push their authority outwards they're they're trying to you know, really sort of acquire authority acquire power both for themselves and their their office they tend to be people who i, I wouldn't trust immensely i mean they are exactly where you were earlier they need the bracelets of, of wisdom yes. and sincerity 
much yeah. much more than most monarchs would, I believe. Um, you know, there was something on LinkedIn. I think he's pulled it off, but there was a a guy in Shanghai saying, you know, monarchy is such a lousy institution. And I, I you know, of course, you know, I thanked him for his opinion, but pointed out that you know, if, if he ventured similar criticism of of, of the um, the emperor, G, for example, was, bad things would happen to you. Yeah, exactly. And you know, King Charles is not going to pull you or me off for talking about cue cards. Uh, he's, he's probably not going to know about it, but if it did come to his attention, he'd probably laugh it off. Um, we don't have... He's subscriber kind of number 42. <laughs> well, I hope don't so. tell anybody. <laughs> well, well, then, yeah, he probably wouldn't thank me for this. But, you know, again, that's another part of the coronation. You know, okay, we don't live in the Middle Ages. We don't run these kind of risks. But, you know, the, the moment of Harry riding down the aisle with a sword drawn to take on the king's you know, champion, yeah, passed at the moment that we had that ceremony. Yeah, he's not yeah. going to sort of, you know, Prince Harry was not going to ride in and overturn the, the, the rule of this monarch and seize the throne. Um, that would have made for some exciting television. <laughs> yeah, and Harry yeah, left from behind, drawn... Yeah. His, his sword waved his escutcheon. That would have been just tremendous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like like El Cid meets Suits or something like that. But, but no. <laughs> I think that Thanks would have been beautiful. But it, alas, it didn't Harry didn't have it in him. No, no, no. And, you know, after his shenanigans, uh, I mean... I'm not it's... a king. And if my son mm. wrote that book about me, I don't think I'd be inviting him to any ceremony I was having anytime soon. Right, the no, no. parents of Charles the Third. He should go down in history as 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 uh, you know, Charles 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 the Forbearant because how could you put up with that madness? Oh, exactly. I mean, again, if you contrast it with the late Queen, you know, you talk about kind of a preparedness to know what you shouldn't be doing and to and to exercise your your responsibilities diligently, decently, quietly, yes. you know, with yes. dignity. Um, God bless him. You know, I know he's been through a lot, but 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 Prince Harry. I mean, his own children. Wasn't he thinking about? I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, it's great. Maybe pub conversation for a guy in his early twenties. But frankly, now the whole world that has any interest knows where Prince Harry lost his virginity. And you know, it's kind of you know, what about his children when they're older? Do they need to have people knowing that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, Jack, can we go visit the pub? <laughs> can exactly. we have a field trip <laughs> well, well well exactly and you know i mean he's you know, he's almost certainly a decent guy but i mean he's kind of taken his own reputation and trolled it through the, the gutters and then oh. you know are people going to feel comfortable telling him things uh, really sensitive things yeah. what discretion has he demonstrated yeah. i think um, i was very proud and, and I'm not the only one, but I was very proud when I was on LinkedIn and the day he announced his his, his nuptials to this, I'm sure this lovely young woman, I don't know mm. there, um, I couldn't resist. And I wrote on my update, um, American divorcees to British monarchy zero. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't resist. Couldn't resist. Wasn't original, but I felt good about it. And well, wondering, I mean, is he yeah. regretting? My big question you know, is he upon a few years into marriage, a few years into a quasi-embarrassing public life that was not very stiff upper lip in any way, shape, or form? 
just wondering in the dark of the night when he pops awake and he's staring at the ceiling, is he thinking, huh, <laughs> maybe maybe that wasn't such a good call. Maybe serving the kingdom was a good idea, but we'll never know. Well, well again, you mean, it's the role he was brought up to. Even if it is spare, it has so many good qualities in it. No, of and course. You know, our moment in time adores celebrity, but you know there is a massive difference between doing and seeming. And, and you know she probably had in mind so many good intentions, but frankly, the life of a royal. I mean, I know it's a cliche. This has been said by people far more eloquent than me. But you know, the princess royal, Princess Anne, is is exemplary. You know, she will turn up to cut the factory ribbon in 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 Bolton, where I'm from. Um, it won't be glamorous. It won't be particularly well thanked. She'll go up there. She'll give a speech about your manufacturing ball bearings in Bolton. Um, she'll get in the car, be driven Gripping. Back. A gripping topic any day. <laughs> well, exactly. You know, but it's, it's, it's the real life for so many people. And she'll be yeah. a patron of so many small charities. Of course. And... And essentially, that goes right back to the monarch's commitment to service. And, and Harry has served in ways that I, 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 I would, yeah, oh, sincerely, being yeah. fearful of. Wartime soldier, there's no question. He has done. Been about he's done a phenomenal job. He, he never, mm -hmm. my understanding for those um, who would be more familiar with it, he was not hiding behind his title and hiding behind the lines. He was in combat. Um, so, given that, I just. We all make our choices, and some things sound good. And um, the, the 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 conflation of American kind of celebrity culture, um, which can be cringy at the best of times, and this this there's a segment of America that's very much into this kind of competitive victimization and you mm. know, oversharing, uh, uh, you know, self revelation that no one wants to hear. Um, quite yeah. frankly, and in the midst of all of the, you know, the weirdness of, of, of COVID and um, people thrown out of their jobs, destroyed kids thrown out of school to like have a literal prince and a very wealthy actress sit and be interviewed by a billionaire about how hard their lives were. I mean, you couldn't be more tone deaf. It was ridiculous. No, no and, exactly. and the only people that thought that was okay were like a small sliver of rich people in Los Angeles because everyone else was like, what are you kidding? Poor yeah. you. Give me the give me the, the, the cottage on the castle grounds. Thank you very much. I'll I'll suffer well, for the renovation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're privileged enough to wear their grievance on their sleeve and to be, oh. be interviewed. I mean and, and talk about it without being embarrassed by saying it. That was the part that was just mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. But Again, anyway. I mean, it's it's so much like the court of Marie Antoinette and Louis. I mean, this is you know, fantasy extra stuff. It really is the kind of you know, um, championing good causes. But you, know, you, know, you can almost imagine Megan is going to walk out dressed as an 18th century shepherdess one day. And uh, you know, they're uh, going to have uh, their little petit piano. Um, and you know, <laughs> it's well-meaning. So, it, it's so just thinking in, big, in bigger terms, right? There's always mm -hmm. been an anti-monarchist Kind of movement within the United Kingdom and people calling mm -hmm. for a strict republic. Um, mm -hmm. I do love the fact that the UK, United Kingdom is the only nation on earth that I'm aware of that got rid of monarchs and brought them back. <laughs> I think it's pretty fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. uh, Charles is, of course, you know, Charles out, Charles in. Yeah. Um, so I'm kind of curious. Do, do, you, do you think with an, inc an increasingly diverse 
in mm -hmm. terms of where people come from, right? In the United States, mm -hmm. part of our, what I still believe is our strength, um, despite the attempts of some politicians to divide us into balkanized factions. I still think that, and most of the Americans I encounter still view this as the great opportunity. I don't care where you came from. I don't care what your father did or your mother did. I don't care about any of that. You know, if you if you declare yourself to be an American and you declare yourself to believe in the rule of law and individual responsibility and, and all of that yes. stuff, you are welcome. You are an American. Welcome here. Terrific. Yes. yes. That's that. I'm curious how that plays in a kingdom, which yeah. inevitably has some portion of, as you said, head of the Church of England. The, the rule of, of, of a monarch uh, and, and, and religious sense. Well, for all non-C of E Christians, for all non-Christians, that's, that's that whole, how, I guess I'm asking, what have you sensed mm -hmm. of Buddhists, yeah. Hindus, Muslims, Jews, atheists, that it's held in a cathedral. It's, it's yeah, yeah. seen by a, a Christian priest. Does that diminish the monarchy at all or does it change how people relate to it now you're going to have to bear with me because this is a, definitely a bit of half-baked kite flying it flying and, and mixed metaphoring on my part but sure. um i i think it does and it can now i mean of course the uk will never be the city on a hill in the way that i think the states is profoundly that melting pot but tripping back well, a few months i was you know lucky enough to be invited by an american group that's looking to build connections in the uk to a lovely supper in the Carlton Club around the time that Chris Pincher, our whip, was getting in trouble for pinching, essentially. And that you know, was one of the right. things that led to the downfall of Boris um, yeah. in that club. So anyway, there we were in a private dining room, about 20 of us, uh, eminent British historian David Starkey, kind of moderating the discussion. Um, and we were basically introducing ourselves and the things we believe in. And I shan't name him, um, A, because he probably got a bit the better of me in the, the, this contretemps, but B, because you know, he might not welcome me doing so. But as we went around, a very prominent kind of probably traditional conservative spokesman um, said, you know, I love this country. My problem is immigration. Now, that triggers somebody like me because, you know, I'm, I'm an immigrant. My mother was an immigrant. My wife's an immigrant. My daughter's an immigrant. I come from a family with you know, various faiths and, and, and various colors. Right. And, you know, I tend to read that statement as a, a flag of a, of a sort. Right. Um, so I basically said to him, I think immigration is, broadly speaking, an enricher in society, especially with our demographic. Now, not being totally deliberate, I'm not saying you throw open borders. Um, but that people like me have failed to ensure that there's proper infrastructure and proper integration. And it's managed immigration, essentially. And, you know, we, we, we had a contretemps. And David Starkey really intelligently reminded us that we were sitting in the Disraeli room in the Carlton Club. Right. And, and he sort of said, assimilation in our society is eminently possible, but it goes back to the role of institutions. So because if people come to the society as Disraeli's family did with a different faith, a different heritage, they can still feel part of our traditions. And by, by that, I don't mean in faith terms, the Church of England tradition, but the nation's tradition, because they're joining a story which, yes, has a strong Christian aspect to it, but it's not exclusively so. It, it's essentially these, the fulfillment is that, yes, Charles is the defender of the faith, 
but you know, he spoke very passionately. And of course, you know, there was a wonderful cross-community involvement. But yes. I don't. I think even without that, it's clear that you know you're free to exercise your faith, or or indeed to set aside your faith in this kingdom, and you won't be judged the greater or the lesser for that. Um, I, I do believe in in the established church because I think it does fulfill a function, which is to some extent to represent faith as significant. But you know, we're not. We're not a fundamentalist society, and, and and I love the confusions, the ambiguities of the Church of England, mm. and I'm comfortable with it. But I think I'm also comfortable with the way that the monarchy knits into a religious institution and, and hopefully binds people together. I mean, I think probably like a lot of Western societies, we're a bit confused, we're quite emotional, a lot of people are on about guilt and grievance. Um, and, and frankly, it's places like China that are much better together. They've got their own problems. But I think, you know, I hesitate to say this, but, you know, I look at um, the way China is very effectively building relationships, um, contacts in the UK, the Confucius Institute, you know, the uh, movements it has, the money it splashes around, the intelligence it's gathering. And forgive me, but I look at, you know, the, the Americans and I think, you know, whilst there is a degree of socialising that's, that's ramped up a notch, you know, it's pronouns and acronyms and the Chinese are oh. very seriously yeah, supporting us. Yeah. The good news about that sort of nonsense here is it's, um, it's amplified because the media subscribe to the, you know, conjurie of ill-formed ideas that support this crap about pronouns and genders. It's, it's just bizarre. Um, and the, the, the influence of that nonsense, like many um, kind of mini Maoist enterprises, is waning. As rational <laughs> Americans can think two things at once. One, there are two genders. You're an idiot. Two, I don't think you should be harmed if you believe you're a 19th gender called Cake Fairy. I don't care. And I'm not making that up. I'm taking that from a list of 97 approved genders from the San Francisco City Council. So lest you think I'm making up cake fairy as a gender, I'm not. Uh, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> so, but you know, the, the most rational Americans are fairly live and let live. And what they object to is being screened at, or in, as in California, uh, where the state legislature takes the time to pass a law that demand a doctor in the privacy of an examination room refer to a person by that person's preferred pronouns under penalty of law. Like that absurdity is what normal Americans object to. You can do what you want. I don't care if you dye your hair, <laughs> mutilate yourself as long as you're not underage. Like I don't care if you do any of that. Don't tell me that I have to accept it and think it's normal. And don't tell me I have to kind of endorse it because I don't any more than you know you endorse my being a mining executive right i'm not asking everyone to say mining is awesome just leave me alone and let me run my business um yeah. i did think that that, yeah. that, like, yeah, that kind of approach the comment about the disraeli room and about um the 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 way in which assimilation happens in the uk i think is a little bit different than maybe it happens mm -hmm. here one good friend of mine who lives in uh, London said, right, during during the summer of 2020, when there's a lot of chaos in America, there are a lot of riots in the streets. And and his comment was, well, in, in Britain, the equivalent would be um, a, a number of people marching politely down the main main the high street saying, what do we want? 
incremental change. When do we want it? In due course. Right? So like yeah. this, this sort of um, historical appreciation of gradualism is perhaps what exactly. separates the UK from the US the most. I don't know if that's We right. are a queuing culture after all. I mean, we are not a kind of a service. We, we don't demand service. We, we, you know, we, we request attention. Um, and, you know, right or wrong, there probably is an element of going to your monarch in supplication for, for a, a conversation. You, sure. you, would, you arrive at the court um, looking for a hearing. You don't arrive entitled to one. Entitled to a hearing, you're right. Yeah, and, yeah. and yeah, and then, and of course, it is the most pampered who are the most arrogant about their identity having to be respected. Yeah, it's yeah the folks who are you know, cleaning the offices, uh, driving the buses. Yeah, they are frankly dealing with other stuff. They're not going to get too hung up about these things. Um, but it does worry me a wee bit. And it's more that kind of corrosion of confidence because almost you know, a society can take a lot of external knocks, but when it no longer believes in itself or it's Frankly, it's not not sustainable. You know, the, the cost of the, the legions to the Roman Empire, the complications of ancien regime France, the, the the tax burdens, the yeah, the the, the avoidance, the, the the tax farming, all of that kind of stuff that corrodes a sense of what why bother. Um, but you know, we're a pretty yeah, again. It's this sense of you know why we've lost the, the art of being thankful uh, or the obligation of being thankful for what we have. Um, mm. Because you know we live in a great period of human history in wonderfully liberal societies, which are pretty well served. You now most people have dealt with much greater uncertainty. Oh, much greater all of human history, and, and yeah, we've got eighty percent of the world right now. Yeah, I, I had mm. a large yeah. argument with a friend. Like, like nothing's perfect in this world, but if you have, if you have the time and the luxury and the sensitivity to complain about microaggressions which are literally so tiny that most people don't even perceive them you know I, i'm thinking there are roughly six billion people on the planet who would gleefully change their lives of drudgery for an air-conditioned office job in middle-class america where they're subject to a stream of microaggressions i think they would take that in a heartbeat and be thankful <laughs> right. well absolutely i mean the, the pilgrims on the Mayflower, you know, as they were starving to death. You know, there must have been a few microaggressions between that's right. them, but that's not He was rude to me. He glanced askance at the cut of my hem. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. I'm busy starving to death, so I'm not going to notice. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I, I like to think I'm an affable sort of chap, but but essentially, I'm sure I've been rude to people. I, you know, inadvertent, I would hope, most times, but I'm sure occasionally... Yeah, we, I would hope so. I would hope so. Here's here's a provocative question, which which you mm -hmm. may or may not choose to answer because it may or may not get in trouble with the crown and throwing you in the tower. Have you thrown in the tower? Queen Elizabeth II, phenomenal monarch, oversaw a very tumultuous period in your nation, yeah. in the world's history. Um, but I had this thought, standing outside mm -hmm. of Buckingham Palace in the rain on on the, on the evening of her sad passing, um, surrounded mainly by. Uh, you know, and I went over because the funny—it's so ridiculous. I was talking to my wife. Um, said, "Well, you're you're in London for this, and it must be strange." And I'm watching the crowds outside the palace on the television. I'm like, "What am I doing? I'm two blocks away. Why am I sitting in my hotel room?" Um, and I walked over, and I thought a fleeting thought. Mm -hmm. And the Queen oversaw the dismantlement of the empire, all of the. You know, countries mm -hmm. that have been part of it becoming part of the Commonwealth, no longer directly ruled. Um, 
Maybe with a man back in the throne. Take back the empire? What do you think? Military students? <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going in a different direction. I thought that you right? this was a full stop. The man, the, the, the manly martial virtues. Maybe it's time to like go back, take some territory back. What do you think? <laughs> Talking about writing a new chapter, indeed a new book, the revival, resurgent. Um, exactly. Oh, they gosh. still have the playing fields at Eaton. Let's go. Let's get them back in the officer corps. Let's get that colonial mentality going. What do you think? <laughs> well, I, I what I hesitate slightly on empire, but. But what I do believe is, you know, over that period, much as you know, there were wrongs and ills in empire, you know, we've begun to perceive a, a, a lot of the negatives as, as being the exclusive part of empire. And there were a lot of good things there as well. My, my grandfather went to West Africa in the 20s and he did a lot to improve the prison regimes and, and then ran the prison service in Nigeria and Ghana. And he served alongside Imperial troops fighting Italians in East Africa and then Germans. Um, so, you know, the, the Imperial story is one that also did do a lot more knitting of people together. Um, but I feel that the United Kingdom, certainly in my lifetime, has, has become a little bit less concerned with the rest of the world beyond the European Union. Sure. A little more insular, a little more parochial, a little more kind of narrow and lacking in confidence. And I would like us, you know, I don't necessarily hark back to empire, but I hark back to the people who built the empire, you know, the pirates, the people, well, the, the Francis Drake's, uh, you know, I've got South American ancestry too, and I'm, I'm sure my Chilean ancestors would give me a sharp kick for celebrating Francis Drake after what he did to Chile. But at the same time... But it shook them people... up, it gave them something to think about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they reacted the to people. men like Francis Drake and forged the society they have now. <laughs> Certainly, they were disruptors who provided a service, but, but essentially they were people who looked at a world of opportunity with confidence, they entertained risk, they got out and did stuff. And some of them, I'm sure, you know, drowned, you know, died of thirst on a barren island, had their heads chopped off, got peppered with arrows by my other side of ancestors. But <laughs> what the heck? You know, they were they lived a story and so many of us. And I, I think that's part of this whole pronoun stuff. We're frightened of living boring lives. And, and you know, we don't make the effort to inject excitement into them or, or indeed you know, maybe find the humor in just the commonplace. So that leaves us with the downside, the gloomy, the depressive. You know, my life is a disaster. I miss the bus. You know, right. they, someone they, they someone was mean to me. I didn't get the last slice of cake at the holiday party. It must be because they don't like Jews, right? <laughs> exactly. You know, they looked at me strangely. Yeah, well, get over it. You know, have a life. <laughs> own your life, you know, adore your place. You know, if you're not happy, tell someone you're not happy. One of my colleagues cheesed me off in a meeting a while ago and I sent him a note saying why I thought he cheesed me off. And he sent me a note back telling me to be cheesed off. And you know, I'm not gonna bear a massive grudge. Um, fair enough. Because yeah, I got off my chest what I wanted to. And yeah, to be fair, he also explained it a bit, but you know, that's fair. He, he said his piece, I said my piece. I'm not gonna go around standing up naming him or indeed not naming him, but being ready to raise a charge against him of microaggression. It's just, we're just both two irritating middle-aged men. And <laughs> so do you think that maybe you, you'd find, maybe that's the, the cure for the midlife crisis. Strap on a sword and a, and a shotgun and go subject, yeah, go, go pick a nation, don't care which one. Hell, choose New Jersey, I don't care. <laughs> you know, I mean, Let's get let's get a little excitement back into the empire game. <laughs> well, yeah, we could start with Belgium, but we've got, we've got to go small. Um, but no. that's a good question. Would British soldiers take New Jersey more easily than Belgium? That's a really great question. <laughs>
Now, assuming, of course, the American mm-hmm. military stood aside and it was solely the New Jersey National Guard. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of calculations in there. But I, mean, I, don't know, I don't know about the New Jersey National Guard. Um, <laughs> I, pretty, I think Belgium. Bunch. <laughs> so, so I think clearly, Belgium, I'm, clearly I'm clamoring for a return of European expansion, uh, which, you know, is, you know, we, I didn't know that going into setting up messy times. I didn't know that would be a theme, but Charles has inspired me, damn it. And he's, he's, he's kind of a little martial fire uh, uh, under me. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, it might you know it, it would serve one purpose, you know, if, if if none else. I, I suspect, you know, if we were to arrive on your shores in khaki, if not in red coats, we'd probably bind together some of the fractures in, in, in the states. I can see for sure. You know, Give us a common enemy again. Mm, Hell, yeah. look, there's there's a museum at Concord now where the where the powder and ball used to be held. Try to take that. Let's see how that goes. Try to get into you know, burn the White House once while we painted it white. I think that'd be that'd be good if the British Navy steamed up the Potomac again. That really might kind of gel the country back together again. That'd be exciting. <laughs> it's, it's a high risk strategy, and you know I don't know if we'd have the Canadians with us on that one, but we could try. Oh, that's a good question. I mean, we we I I, I love whenever I do a lot of work in Canada. Whenever I'm in Canada, I can never resist saying like like we offer you the chance to be in the club. You said no. <laughs> that was your call. You've got Trudeau now because you said no. We came. We offered it. You said no, but they they get they get very frowny at that. They don't like being called American, um, huh? Well, so you're not supportive of imperial expansion. That's okay. It's okay. Is is there? And just between us, do you think there's any appetite in Charles's uh, uh, kind of administration for that? You think maybe he'd be up for that? <laughs> it, it does tend to go with the name. I, I think was it Charles the, the second tried to get uh, Algiers, and then Charles the first was certainly you know keen on uh, of course it, it all went very badly for him with ship tax and everything that led to his downfall but he it was, did it's a problem but you know i uh uh i as a matter of policy am always very very nervous and suspicious of anyone north of hadrian's wall um <laughs> <laughs> it's you know call me bigoted i just you know <laughs> well, ha- have you heard what's been going on in scotland i mean Nicola Sturgeon. <laughs> no yeah you know, I hesitate slightly because clearly there are you know, investigations underway um, uh, about which I know very little, but that's not going to stop me commenting. Um, essentially, you know, we went up for Easter and it was bizarre. Yeah. Her, her husband, who had been the chief executive of the Scottish National Party, being taken into having a conversation with the police, uh, a motorhome that was on the SNP books, off the SNP books. It's kind of... It's just bizarre. And I mean, all of the, the funny... For my American reader, American listeners, the SMP? Oh, sorry, the Scottish National Party. So these are the people who you know, have campaigned for independence legitimately and correctly for many years. Um, they've been in a minority administration in Scotland where there is an, a parliament with some delegated authorities. Um, but they've, yeah, they've generally, I, I would say garnered a bit of reputation for being reasonably professional, at least in expression and, and reasonably decent in managing the country. I mean, it has to be borne in mind that Scotland's on a massive subsidy. Right. Right? So there's an agreement called the Barnett formula, which means that essentially Welsh people um, and English are, are to some extent subsidizing Scotland on a daily basis. Which um, cause chafing, I imagine, amongst all mm. <laughs> Well, yeah, but I mean, I, I, I don't know, I mean, 
quite how, how, how pop, popularly known it is in Wales, because I imagine that they might have less enthusiasm for, for, for partnering with Scott Nats on stuff. But, um, you know, it, that reputation for efficiency and professionalism has kind of unraveled a bit with all of these sort of very parochial things that have been going on, you know, treasurers not knowing whether the motorhome was on the balance sheet or off the balance sheet. Why, why does a, a smallish political party in a smallish country need a hundred thousand pound, you know, Winnebago essentially, is it? Sometimes, <laughs> was, yeah. that, was that the Winnebago from the uh, Bill Murray movie years ago? Yeah. Uh, stripes or whatever. <laughs> yeah. That's very funny. So, so there's a corporation of funds. That's, that's absolutely fabulous. Um, huh. And, so, you know, I mean, what are, you, what, are you, what are your prognostications for Charles Charles's Charles the Forbearance rule? What do you what do you think it's oh. going to look like with Queen Camilla well, I think steady a, by his by his side? Yeah, I think a lot depends on a degree of yeah. To to what degree does he emulate the late monarch in really trying to sort of? Oh gosh, this is so cheesy, but you know that that old expression about you you say it best when you say nothing at all. Right. Well. If he just tries not to be too active, not to be too sort of directive, um, but support his causes, you know, go about his role with quiet dignity. And I think he's got all of these qualities. I think he will win hearts and minds across the country. If he tries to perform the role of kind of a, a quasi-politician, then unfortunately, as you suggested earlier, politics comes with brickbats and personalities that aren't always nice. Um, and I think he'd be better advised, as I hope he is being advised, to just kind of remain above that fray. Um, I think he's a very clever, very decent, very kindly man. And those qualities will also gather respect. But I would say if he proceeds with those qualities, but reasonably gently, he will command such, you know, such respect across the country. And I think to some extent, help this kind of emotional uh, maybe it's me being a grumpy middle-aged man, but I would say actually quite a lot of it is youthful as well. Middle-class community that feel life's been hard to them as they drink their Starbucks latte and uh, um, uh, yeah, you know, get ready for their 15, 20 pound cocktails. It's, you know, it's that society got to begin to think that they've got the opportunity to do something more and to be something better. You know, through through what they do, not well. Look, frankly, if you're drinking burnt coffee, which is Starbucks, and you're paying too much for it, and the milk is overheated, um, you should feel put upon. Yeah, well, exactly. And then, yeah. I mean, you look at the fate of you know the the urban poor or you know the uh, second class citizens in China, the agricultural people who've moved to the big cities. Well, yeah, you know, they would cry out for the kind of opportunities that exist here. But so that's that yeah. is going to be interesting because I know that one of the biggest changes from Brexit that I saw certainly was um, you know, that huge you know, chunk of jobs that um, for whatever reason, um, I think the, the, the ongoing joke was the stereotypical Polish plumber, right? That the mm -hmm. Poles fled Europe, came to England, and everyone who was busy doing pipe fitting spoke Polish and they did a great job, right? It was like mm -hmm. the, the land of opportunity. Um, and a lot of that post-Brexit has been a, uh, obviously a colossal pain for them. Um, well, I hope so. I hope, I hope he does. I mean, the, the, the thing I'm most curious about watching is prior to this, he has in large measure been kind of the head of the climate church, right? So mm -hmm. um, if you are an executive at British Petroleum, like you don't get the sense you're going to get a warm welcome at the palace. Uh, 
and that is a bit that's a bit more political, I, I would say, mm-hmm. than than Lily Queen. That she she yeah. as far as I can discern, she never had an opinion about anything, except everyone should be lovely to one another, and she greeted the Christmas carolers every year. Um, so I, I'm 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 kind of curious to see how he yeah. views his role. Right? It, it, are there does, if he views things like that complex causes of meteorological conditions that do or do not lead to volatility of climate mm-hmm. right? as a universal social good, much like it'd be mm-hmm. nice if everyone sang together on Guy Fox. Mm-hmm. But if the population doesn't view it that way, and they view it as one more political stance, by your lights of how the monarch could, monarch should be above politics, that could be that could diminish kind of the the, the 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 halo effect around the monarchy. Well, I think you're right. And also I think it's in part because I don't think our political conversations have really tested and teased apart in many ways, in many areas, but in this one, what, what we're talking about. So for example, yeah, and if the monarch stands up and says, I want a sustainable earth that will be handed on to the next generation and the one after it, well, nobody's going to disagree with that. Um, that's being conflated with net zero. So, so right. when he was Prince Charles, he opened the corporation's net zero summit, which was virtual a couple of years ago, and it was fine. But you know, I'm one of the very few people. I'm not a climate change denier, you know, and I'm not even one of the people who's who's trying to excuse that they are a climate change denier. Saying this, I've always changed. That's what it does. Yeah, exactly. It, it's changed through human history. It's changed through yeah, human endeavor. We we've yeah. changed the climate a bit, but. But I think we also need to consider to, to what extent are we facing crisis or catastrophe? To what extent is this you know, a problem or, or a disaster? And I, I think it's you know, it might be a problem, but I don't see it's been proven that it's a disaster. Um, then I think we need to consider, no, what, what, what are the policies that we can work with? What, what, what is the impact potentially of developing technology? So, you know, solar energy from space might have a massive impact. Carbon capture. You know, so we don't need to run around like headless chickens and, and kind of catastrophize and be quite as dogmatic as a, a lot of net zero feels. Yeah. So, yeah, what I'm trying to suggest is, you know, if, if the monarch is about, you know, let's have a sustainable planet and you know, rather like his father was concerned with wildlife, great. If the monarch is coming into a room saying, you know, no, no oil, you know, no fossil fuel from 2030, well, Frankly, it's unrealistic. And, and there will be that little segment of pampered society that can get by more easily. But we're already seeing, seeing it with, with kind of demonstrations on our streets, the Extinction Rebellion people. Yeah, I, I hope to heaven there won't ever be violence. But you know, the folks have really got to get to the, the, the low paid job of getting out of their vehicles and ripping these banners down and wanting to drive on because right. that's the real world. Yes. Um, and the Extinction it's Rebellion wrong flakes that, are my favorite flakes. They're crazy. And I was very happy to see uh, in Rome, they tried some of this nonsense of sitting down in the motorway. Well, that didn't turn out so well for them. So unlike the videos no. in England and France where everyone's being really polite and waiting for the police to do something, a couple of guys got out of their truck, started just beating ass and throwing, throwing them off to the side of the road. Like, I got to go to work. I'm not, you know, get off yeah. the road, kid. Um I think we're gonna get yeah. we're gonna get something more rational. There are extremes to any any view, uh, and I you know I I was immediately take exception to that. You know, the use of the use of the term denier is it's funny that you bring it up. I had a discussion with someone the other day about it. It was the best sort of 
propagandistic leftist jujitsu ever, linguistically speaking, because the first time the phrase came up was in context of the Holocaust, right? And so to deny the existence of an extermination campaign mm-hmm. is, is, is a atrocity of such like un, unparalleled magnitude. And then to be someone who actively denied that was a very specific label of calumny that you deserved. But then it's become watered down to everything the political left doesn't like. So if you have a discussion about, well, yeah, I'm all for putting uh, scrubbers and carbon capture on top of coal stacks because, among other things, I don't like the acidification of the oceans, which leads to the destruction of coral, which leads Mm -hmm. to impoverished fisheries. Like there are lots and lots and lots of reasons why one would like to have an alternative fuel source. But Mm -hmm. this has been an hysteria for over a century and it started with human industrial behavior was gonna lead to global freezing and scientific American Mm -hmm. and and everyone screamed and yelled for 30 years that we're gonna freeze to death for the exact same reasons we're supposedly gonna boil to death now. Pardon me having a degree of skepticism. So that that (laughs) idea of, and we're perfectly happy. We're working in industries right now that are moving towards a resilient grid, that are moving things off fossil fuels. And it makes sense to do that, but I don't need to be panicked by the idea that my children are gonna drown in Florida because the ocean's gonna rise nine feet in a month to do that. I'm curious to see how they get handled. Yeah, and the panic doesn't suit anyone in our society. Uh, I mean, I think you know, Extinction Rebellion have a strong kind of religious cult aspect to it. And I think actually a lot of net zero is a bit like the late medieval Catholic church. It's the selling of indulgence. It's yes, making yes, it me is. feel good about my sin. Where's um, our climate, Martin Luther? <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. I mean, just nail those. But I need a 95, 95 theses about climate. You've just given me a great yeah, idea. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, I, I was in a room a while ago and I sort of said, well, no, it, it solves our conscience. You know, there are no emissions on our streets. I'm not thinking about the kind of the, 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 the extraction of those rare earths and the conditions of the workers, you know, particularly who are, who are doing that, the child labor in some measure. We're not thinking about the people no, in not, Xinjiang who are. Not rare earths, cobalt to the Congo, rare earths in Greenland are mine, yeah, yeah, professional right. adults. Sorry. <laughs> I know, no, I know, I know Greenland is a beacon of prosperity. Beacon of mining. Earth. Prosperity and uh, responsible best practices, no question. Absolutely, sorry, forgive me for the- No, that's that's right, it's okay. Um, People mistake Greenland for Africa all the time. Happens constantly. Yeah, (laughs) exactly, it's the Congo. Um, And and essentially, you know, I think it is about that, but you know, I also made the point that what we're doing is is kind of offshoring and outsourcing our, our, our guilt, but at the same time, we're offshoring and outsourcing our growth. And, you know, it's no great accident, I believe. Um, I'm, I'm not a, a political economist, whatever a political economist is, but that, you know, mm. the greatest growth in the world is also in that part of the world that's frankly put two fingers up at this ideology, but we're happy to see the rest of us embrace it. and happy to oh, yeah. tell us that please. If we don't sort of court them, they'll build Blow your growth down, go for it. Yeah, please do. We'll, we'll wake up for it. It's okay. Yeah, and, you know, Exactly. And it's that corrosive lack of confidence. It's that lack of belief. It's all the things that I think monarchy should be an antidote to. Um, and if the monarch is espousing the kind of the unifying end goal, great. I think, you know, marvellous. And it's not my place to criticise their personal views. But if the monarch is trying to end up tell, telling me whether I can drive an internal combustion engine or not, um, 
But I think that's a political conversation. I think politicians have got to be tested better because yeah. there's a lot of lazy politicians who want to feel good, sound good. And again, it's right back there, the Meghan Markle's. It's it's not doing, it's seeming. And and we've got to get through that. Um, well, I, I have faith uh, in, in, in the United Kingdom and its people to do that. And uh, I'm going to harbor small hope that Charles whips up the Imperial armies again. I don't think it's going to happen, but you know, I think it would make for good theater. And frankly, as a former colony that would be invaded, I'm up for the game. I think it'd be invigorating. Americans have gotten sluggish and overweight and too much cholesterol and watching too much TV. I think if they had to go defend, defend themselves against landing Imperial forces again, I think we might, I don't know, we might come together. It might be an exciting moment. So, <laughs> uh, well, we'll see. We'll see if that happens. I don't think it is, but uh, in the interim, I do hope that the positive aspects of the monarchy charge on. Mark, any last words? Any Anything especially uh, brilliant for potentially my American audience who is staring at the man with the crown and wondering if there's anything else they should be thinking about it because they've been lived for centuries or decades with the queen. Now we got a king. Should they care about anything in particular? Um, I'd say stick with us. You know, We are going through a little bit of kind of working it out, uh, who we are, what we are, what modern Britain is. And, you know, you know, we're basically, we share a lot of values with you. Um, you know, our interests don't always align, but they align a lot more closely. And also, that's the other thing. No, don't just stay with us. Court us. So, I mean, I touched on it earlier. You know, the UK's policy towards China worries me a great deal. Liz Truss, who was our, you know, a bit like Lady Jane Grey was our queen for nine days or whatever she was. You know, Liz Truss was our prime minister for about the length of time it takes the letters to, to, to go off. Um, but she was... She she made big mistakes and she was gulled and guiled and she was overconfident um, and she was played a bit. But she recognized China as a threat to our values base. And there are a lot of people in the city of London and Whitehall and Westminster who frankly are woven into the PRC, the CCP view of the world right. and would not and did not enjoy that. So, you know. America is beginning. Ron DeSantis was in London recently, but what he will get is smiles, nods over a cocktail, um, a lot of handshakes, a lot of kind of aspirational uh, comments and, and aligning comments, and that's fine. But the Chinese right now are putting a lot of money into their new embassy. That's right on the edge of the city of London. It's jammed with technology that's going to be picking up sensitive information. They've got the Confucius Institutes building bridges and buying people off in, in the UK. And I would say, please, America, you know, hold pronouns, hold acronyms, you know, if you want, but look with a sharp eye to your friends in the United Kingdom. You know, the way Biden played the UK in Northern Ireland wasn't entirely generous. He was attempting to court relationships in the Republic of Ireland and with the European Union. Sure. We are America's staunchest friends in times of need. Um, we will disagree on some stuff, but please don't let the Chinese court us. Because, I mean, we had the ridiculous sight of our foreign secretary in the Mansion House trying to claim that we have influence over China. And the three things he cited, I'm just looking at this note. He said, essentially, it's this conversation about de-risking without decoupling. You know, we, we are going to keep trading with China. I, I'm not for bringing down the shutters on trade. I believe that's a good sure. thing. But frankly, what we're citing as, as influence that the UK has on China is 2017 uh, Chinese agricultural um, amendment which reduced the production of, of one particular antibiotic by 90%. Um, a 20, 
two draft procurement treaty, which gave UK companies a greater opportunity to bid for Chinese government business. Hmm. And I'll work with the Asia Infrastructure Investment Bank to make it less part of the Belt and Road project. Well, frankly, it's still part of the Belt and Road project. Sure. Yeah. And if, if we delude ourselves that it isn't, we're, we're really being foolish. And the Foreign Secretary stood in the City of London to a city audience and told us that those were three great achievements that meant wow. the UK had influence over China. We don't. We they are broadly speaking, I don't mean the Chinese people, but the Chinese government is a malign actor as I view it. And they're a malign actor that's all over this country and all over the city of London. So please, America, you know, just take an interest in us, engage with us, find people who will work with you and you know, get real, you know, a bit less of the grievance, a bit less of the pronoun, a bit less of the acronyms. Um, get those bracelets of uh, wisdom and sincerity and, and, and come and focus I, on us. I will take that message to the cards of power and I will see who gives it a listen. I, it is... <laughs> Watching, watching the Chinese um, government operate um, objectively, right? Without literally objectively, amorally, not immorally, um, they make a lot of very positive steps. No one's perfect. The myth of like the hyper coordinated, you know, that's there's some degree of that. But every history teaches us that you know every everyone in their own small way. This political entity. One of the greatest uh, 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 kind of aphorisms from from the Ming Dynasty. So a, a friend of mine was a Chinese mm. history scholar. Um, one of the, the great aphorisms that came out of that period. So the imperial, the Forbidden City, is is you know centrally in Beijing, but it's a massive territory that that the Ming eventually ruled mm. over. And regional governors, when speaking about the king, who in theory was the you know, emperor of heaven and ruled over the whole world. Um, their phrase was, the mountains are high and the king is far away. <laughs> so, yeah, you're in charge, but like this is pre-internet, buddy, and there are no airplanes. So you might get a decree that took, you know, four, four months on horseback to get to you in reaction to a message that went back a year ago. And you got a lot of, left, you know, a lot of things you could do with that. If you're really gutsy, you can kill the yeah. messenger and say he got he never made it. Like there's a lot of things that were practical in terms of sure, in theory, there's an all power all, all, all powerful centralizing state, but man, there's some there's some leeway to that. Um other things they do very well, it is good industrial coordination and policy, and they are driving their own policy book. And your your point about whether the city of London or the, the government of the UK or, or Americans should um, kind of acquiesce in that is a sound one, right? There are a lot of things that they've done that have been useful for pulling their people out of poverty. I might, and God knows whether it could have been done in an mm -hmm. American style way. It is what it is. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, 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 the stupidest thing, and I will say this, happily, because I'm an American and I can, and I'm not sitting in China. I think the biggest error that President Xi made is that he's not a stupid man, but he inherited a nation that was growing like gangbusters, right? Trans lifting more and more peasants out of poverty every day into a market economy. And instead of just literally kicking back and putting his feet up and riding that wave and taking credit for it, he decided to go about face to a kind of full-on totalitarian 
attempt to control, which historically has never worked, right? Putting the lid on the pressure cooker and squeezing has never worked. So that to me is just the weirdest mistake the man made. And I think it's his background and, you know, the fact that he's one of the few monarch, the few leaders that never spent time out of the country and all that. Um, but I think it was a seriously lost opportunity because the growth that China was bringing to the world is very positive in many ways. But mm. that decision to regress back to a sort of totalitarian strongman state, that's what we're objecting to in sort of their foreign policy. And maybe it'll ameliorate. I, I hope it does because it's not sustainable. Well, I mean, they've got an aging population. He's clearly, understandably, going back to your mountains and distance, a bit uncomfortable about the kind of the balance of centrifugal and centripetal forces in, in, in his realm, for want of a different word. Yep. So he's, you know, he's contending with insecurities. But as you say, I mean, he was running essentially a pretty successful factory and oh. he's trying to be the factory owner who's going to have authority over territory. I mean, you know, it's... It's your soldiers who guaranteed the peace in Western Europe for, for decades. Um, it's pretty much kind of Western values that, that have helped. You know, okay, they've been the manufacturer and we've been the purchaser, broadly speaking, in glib terms. But, you know, it's this sense of, you know, I, I've got you. And it's so raw. And it's, well, maybe it's not so obvious in everyday conversations. But, you know, just where I am, it feels really as though, you know, he, they, he or his government are trying to use every means at their disposal, the carrot, the stick, um, yeah. the intimidation, the vagueness. And we are just weak in how we're contending with it. We assume, you know, we're conscious of what we don't have to contend with them. I mean, we're conscious of our weaknesses. This is a rising power, but we forget that kind of, we are still, you know, if, if I count us as the West rather than the US or the UK, sure. that it, it's still our economic model. It's still, you know, you are still the wealthiest society. You are still way the, the most powerful military and it's almost a kind of a values conversations going on but if we don't adhere to our values they don't think we have them and and if you're an authoritarian who's insecure then you think you can kind of push you're yeah let's yeah exactly and i mean i just worry a little because you should I but, I, but the comfort i draw is that the great resilience of the chaotic american experiment is that most foreigners especially those of a dictatorial mindset don't understand it right they, they really mm -hmm. They see the frivolousness. They see the popular songs of the 50s about, you know, don't know much about history, don't know much about science books, don't study, I'm an idiot, right? All of that popular culture, which diminishes diminishes hard work and studiousness and erudition and all of that. Um, a lot of people see that superficially, like the, the guy who founded the Islamic Brotherhood, right? The Egyptian that came and studied in America. And he saw what he saw as, the frivolity, the, the girls in short skirts spinning at sock hops, like he found all that abhorrent and destructive, um, probably no more so than parents of those girls spinning at the sock hop did too, right? Forgetting what they were like when they were 18. And now that I've got teenagers, yeah. God save me. Yeah. Um, so I, but they don't, and the Japanese misunderstood it completely. Like Pearl Harbor was arguably the stupidest mistake anyone ever made. Mm. You actually had more than half the country that were like, we're not getting involved again, but didn't we just do this? I'm not going back to Europe. I just went, watched half my friends die. I'm not sending my mm. son because they're doing it again. Screw this. Yeah. And then the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, and that, that was it. It took a while, but they woke the sleeping beast. Um, and mm. similarly, China is mistaking 
the fact that we're playing mm -hmm. by my opinion, that we're playing by individualistic free market quasi free mm -hmm. market rules where individual investors make individual mm -hmm. choices and companies run and fail and we don't the government does not help them no. whereas the chinese have decided on a much more coordinated policy but if they just looked at japan i remember growing up mm -hmm. that the japanese were going to take over everything and their mm -hmm. system was better and they were coordinated and ant like methodicalness and all that quasi racist crap um and their peak was they bought 51% of Rockefeller Center for $800 million. And I think they sold it back a year later for like $30 million. So yeah. I'm, I'm long-term confident for all the reasons you just raised about the aging population in China. Um, hopefully they will, they, will, they, will, they will somewhat calm down, but he's trying to mm -hmm. keep internal cohesion by demonstrating external strength. And countries do that. Americans, for good or for ill, tend to be proud that there's a Pax Americana. Mm -hmm. And yeah. much like the the, the, the old quasi-myth of the, the Roman citizen who could walk unmolested across the breadth of the known world because he was a Roman and you'd have to be insane to molest a Roman, um, mm -hmm. the Chinese aspire to the same thing. It's a natural yeah. human societal impulse. So yeah. we shall see. Well, I guess... Yeah. It would be inconclusive, but I will, I will take back your message to my compatriots. That we should make well, sure that we adhere fiercely to our values of freedom and individual liberty. <laughs> and number 42, who's still got the crown resting on his head. It does. And, and a shout out to my man. Thank you. Congratulations on, on the throne. <laughs> and and, and I, I can simply say, Your Majesty, that you have a loyal and, uh, and humble servant in, in, in me. Almost the same words. Almost. But Mark, thank you so much for your time. It's always a delight. Uh, uh, should this this particular episode changed the course of geopolitics all the better. All the better, <laughs> when, <I say. laughs> when you see red coats in Hoboken. And, uh... That'll be great. No, really, really. It's Jersey. You want to go for Jersey. So that'll be really <laughs> good. And until then, for the rest of my listeners, especially those in New Jersey who are bunkering down and waiting for the red coats, thank you so much for, for tuning in. Turn off the mainstream media because they're lying to you and tune into Messy Times. Thanks, Chris. Learn what Bitcoin is, how it works, and why it matters. Bitcoin 101, your ultimate guide to the fundamentals of blockchain.